Hey internet, I'm Simon Squibb, your host at the Good Luck Club podcast. Our mission is to help anybody out there that's thinking of starting a business do just that. Equally, if you've started a business and are struggling, maybe you need a little bit of inspiration and knowledge. And we hope by interviewing some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs and change makers that you'll get the knowledge you need to become the person you want and turn your business into that dream company. I personally have started 17 companies from scratch and have invested in over 65 startups. When I sat down and analyzed how I did it, I discovered a secret. It was all luck. I'm here to tell you, in my opinion, without luck, it ain't gonna work. Each week, I will discuss with my guests this theory and see if luck is a skill as I feel it is. I hope you enjoy our episode this week. Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. My guest today is entrepreneur Hayley Peacock. She's the founder and head of school of Atelier 21 Future School. Hayley, welcome to the show. Hello. It's a pleasure to have you here. I wonder if you could start off by kindly introducing yourself to our audience. Yeah, sure. So I'm Hayley. Um, I am an entrepreneur and an educator. Uh, my background is in running a group of nurseries uh, in early years. So, you know, looking after children uh, between naught and five and developing a group of nurseries in my area. And most recently, I uh, about a year ago decided to start a progressive school. And so we are now six weeks away from our new school opening in September. Um, and yeah, that's where I am. I've got four children. Uh, I'm married and I live in West Sussex and um, I'm quite tired at the moment. <laughs> so I've been working very hard. Thank you for your honesty. Yeah, I mean, it's um, that sounds amazing. I'd like to get into the school philosophy a little bit in a, in, a, in a short time. But before we dive into the details of what you're doing, I always like to ask guests to define what success is to them so my audience can understand how you view the world. So, yeah, I was thinking about this and I think success to me, I think if I if I really kind of unpack it, obviously, you know, you need to be making a living and success uh, needs to be able to support, you know, support your life, your family. But that aside, actually, for me, the success of the business is how much joy I'm taking from it. And when I'm taking the most joy is when other people in my organization are really thriving and really loving being part of it. When I see my staff, you know, really kind of get really bought in um, and they really fall in love with what we're doing, that's the point where everything seems to be quite magical. And that to me is, is, is a real marker of success because it's the most fun and I'm having the best time doing it. How do you stay in that state of enjoying the business? Because I, I know for a lot of my listeners, you know, they're, they're finding running their own business can be pretty hard. How, how do you... How do you ensure the joy? Yeah, oh gosh, please don't let me let you think that I have been in this heightened state of joy for the last 10 years. I really haven't. I mean, the first three years like, honestly nearly broke me. I mean, in fact, it did sort of break me. I had two breakdowns, actually, um, and it was completely horrendous. You know, I had three children under the age of five two of which had been uh, twins that had been born extremely premature, which was very stressful, very 
ill for a long time. And, at, at, you know, at the point when they were 18 months old, I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll start my own business. This is a great idea. And of course, it was, it was actually a terrible idea. Um, and, you know, about a year later, I became extremely poorly but, you know, I battled through it and uh, I don't regret it. But the first few years, you know, of any new business, I think, are just really, really tough. There's such hard work because your learning curve is so incredibly tough and so stiff. You know, I hadn't managed people properly before in any really formal way. I certainly hadn't run a business. I knew nothing about nurseries at all. Um, and that was a very interesting combination. And I, I, you know, and I had a huge amount of responsibility at home. So, all of that together, you know, was very difficult. And I remember getting to about the three-year mark and waking up. And I, was, I really remember clearly standing on my bed, getting ready for, you know, yet another day and thinking to myself, when is it going to calm down? When am I going to feel like I'm not fighting fires every single day? Um, but I, I sort of really still had that vision, that belief, that fire that, you know, that time would come and it would. And, and it's not like I hadn't had loads of fun on the way I had, but it just was really tough. And I'd say it kind of after that point, sort of three years in between the three and five year point, it started to get really fun because we started to you get the team you need, you settle in, you've picked the wrong people, you've they've either left you or you've got rid of them and you've got your team around you and then you start. And things start working on their own. That's the difference is you don't have to go in every day and start the engine, put the petrol on, you know, pump the gas type thing, because the other people start to do that and they start to breathe, breathe your values through everything they're doing. And so then you get the time back in the headspace to think, right, let's do some really cool things. Let's do some innovative things. Let's push the boundaries a bit more. And that's the bit that I get the most fun from because I'm a creator. I'm a visionary. Thank you. I'm not also I'm not that great at the uh, the admin. <laughs> My uh. weakness is uh, that some of the admin, but um, but in terms of creating things, that's that's the thing I find most fun. So so it hasn't always been fun. <laughs> well, I think uh, the honesty you're sharing there means a lot. I think for my audience, that that's what they need to hear. And I think, you no, know, I, I actually say something similar. I always tell people, it's almost like for the first two years of any business, it's a bit like going to prison. I've never been to prison, but conceptually, like you've got to just completely get into it and accept that that's going to be completely your life. And then you I can totally come out the other that. end and appreciate not being in prison anymore. <laughs> I think that's it, isn't it? Because gratitude, you, you you get you in life, you have gratitude because of not just what you have, but also what you don't have, and sometimes what you don't have anymore. And 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 that's the thing is that if you if you haven't really experienced that one hundred percent of the time, constant awful pressure on you, you know that just is relentless. You know when that relieves, it is just wonderful. <laughs> Totally. And it's just lovely, isn't it? You can't really describe it to anyone, I don't think. Totally. Actually, I, I, I say I've never been to prison, but it must be the same. When you've been in prison for five years and you get released, you just appreciate being outside and free. You know, the basics. Completely. Um, I think we're like, we're already really putting loads of people off. Yeah, I, I, I think get, so, I yeah. <laughs> I think, I think we're move. saying it's worse than going to prison, starting a business, it's which awful. is completely the opposite purpose of yeah. this podcast. To, uh, so, so thank you, Hayley. That's awesome. Yeah, sorry. Oh, no, but I, I, think, I think, no, to be honest, I think it's real and I think it's true and I think I think what you're saying and I and I I, I, I think it's the, the truth that you know getting into business it's not about 
um, being perfect all the time, but it is about building something meaningful over time that matters to you. And and I think what you're saying, and I think it's true, is that if anyone listening that's thinking of starting a business, don't take it lightly. It's going to be an intense experience. But that intense experience is in fact where the joy comes from. Because later, as it, as it works, as you're saying, year three, year four, you're like, wow, now it's actually working. That sense of accomplishment is, I think, 95% of the planet never feel it. I completely agree with you. I mean, it's the biggest high. It, it's the biggest high, I, you know, other than, you know, I, that I've, I've got, you know, a few great, huge highs in my life. And one of them is some of the accomplishments that, you know, we've made at work and, uh, you know, in the business, because it, it, it is, it's a thrill. It's a thrill because it's so risky. So it's a bit like, you know, doing that huge roller coaster and getting right to the precipice and then it's going really slowly and you're sort of terrified but then of course when you get round it and you stop you think oh my god we really did that and it's really working and people really want you know what we've got to offer and also the people I employ are really happy they're having a you know that they're, they're enjoying what they're doing they're they're, ta- they're getting life fulfillment out of it this is so much more than just paying them to do something and that is where for me that's where the magic and the joy happens because I'm for other people it will be different different triggers but for me it's definitely about the sort of personal side of it and creating something like you say something meaningful that means something to you but to other people how did you get through those first two years i mean i I always talk about partners being an important ingredient for example and and their support and allowing you to do crazy things um and maybe even put them second for a while but you know how how do you what's your opinion on what, what gets you through the hard moments 100% 100% my wife, you know, she is just an absolute rock to to this whole uh, process. She's also worked in the business for a long time. So um, we weren't together in the first few years. I had a, a different partner who was also, you know, fantastic at, at supporting me. Um, so, yeah, 100% in, in all my, you know, both my relationships over the last 10 years, which have spanned my business career, it, it's definitely been that the other person has has understood that this is something that if you let me do is very much going to impact everybody. And we've all got to kind of accept that. And, and actually you have to have those conversations up front hundred percent. Um, you know, uh, it's always been very much understood that it, although my wife is employed by me, actually, um, that, you know, that she understands that she she will like the rest of the team they will bring ideas they will sometimes really badger me to change things or make a really strong case for something and I'll go away and I'll think about it and occasionally I'll come back and say you know I understand what you're saying but I'm not you know we're doing it my way and they just say okay that's fine we understand nine times out of ten I'll probably do it their way um and so I think you know having that understanding person behind you is just absolutely critical and also in my case, medication, <laughs> medication helped in the first two years uh, because, you know, I mean, it really was I don't know how honest you want me to be, but it, you know, it was quite, it was very, very stressful. And, you know, there were days where my ex-partner would literally deliver me to the doctors on a Saturday and just, you know, put me in the chair and I would just be in pieces. And the doctor would say, you have to take a break. You have to stop. And I'd say, I can't and it's not because I didn't want to but you know you physically can't you physically if you're in those early stages you know you don't have the option to just say right I'm getting off the bus for a bit I need to sign myself off sick you don't you don't have that option you just have to find a way through um and you know and bit by bit you do so my parents were great they supported me loads my partner 
uh, you know, and, um, and, and, and yeah, and sometimes a bit of, you know, other sort of help. Um, but, you know, one foot in front of the other. And before you know it, you see the light and, and, and you get there. I, I've got a, a bit of a phrase that I've developed over 10 years, and that's don't worry, just work. <laughs> because I'm a huge worrier and, you know, I, 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 I can suffer from anxiety, which was actually triggered by those early experiences of poor mental health due to stress. Um, and so I'm a bit susceptible to anxiety now. And so, you know, I've learned a lot about how it works and how it works for me and how to manage it. Um, and whenever I can feel myself becoming, you know, feeling very overwhelmed by the task ahead, you know, I just try and repeat this mantra, you know, don't worry, just work. Because actually the worrying is just the waste of energy and the work is, is the productive thing that's going to get you on the other side of it. Um, doesn't always work, but <laughs> mm. I try it's a good mantra. I think we should make a T-shirt up. I've, I've got a thing in the podcast recently where every guest says stuff that I just think we need to make into T-shirts and give to everybody. <laughs> and uh, don't worry, just work. I think. I think. I also think talking about mental health is very important. And, mm. and frankly, this isn't something that just uh, affects entrepreneurs. I mean, I know a lot of people that have very stressful jobs that also find Maybe. it, you know, incredibly difficult to to, to, to manage. And so, I think generally, um, even myself, I definitely feel like I've gone through stages of just complete burnout and not even realizing it. And I yeah, think, completely. You know, not 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 recognizing. If you have physical symptoms, then somehow that's actually good. <laughs> people take it more seriously. But if you just you know, can't explain why you know you feel tired, for example, and you just worried about whatever cash flow whatever it is you know it's um it's not recognized as a real problem it's almost like well you're an entrepreneur it's your own fault <laughs> yeah that is uh, yeah you're right that's absolutely right if you don't like <laughs> the doctor saying to you there well if you don't like it just stop working as if that's going to solve the problem actually yeah. it probably won't no know? Um, it won't it's it's so somehow working through it does um so yeah i mean i started working at 15 and, and didn't stop working non-stop for 20 years in part because i was running away from the fact my father had died and i was sad so somehow work was an enjoyable escape from that hard moment right it came back to bite me later in life and i've now had to deal with it but but somehow working through it made it better right yeah. so I, think- I think the other thing is i mean i'm sure you want to move on with more questions but um you know one, one of the things i do think it's so it, it's so important to learn to take the breaks. And actually I am, I still struggle with that. I still struggle with enormous guilt about not working, which is completely self-imposed. So, um, but I think, you know, good good entrepreneurs, I think some of us as entrepreneurs are fueled by a sense of self-doubt. Like it kind of pushes us on, you know, we, we love the challenge, but there's this like fire of, you know, kind of like you can't fail so you've got to step forward and if you take a break from that it's almost like you're inviting that doubt to just sit with you for longer because working through it is easier so for me taking a break is a really difficult thing for me to do and I have to physically leave the country or at least leave my house and holiday somewhere else other than my home otherwise I don't switch off which is why I very rarely have time off just at home to be around and do a bit of DIY, which is why I never do any, because otherwise I'm just working in my head the whole time. I have to physically remove myself. And I've got a lot better at understanding that, you know, that is so important. And my dad, my dad's been a huge help there. I mean, I remember him telling me 
various times where I was very close to burnout yet again, um, where he said to me, Hey, you've got to think of it as though, you know, you are like a top performing race car. That's what you've got to think of yourself as. And if you rag that race car round and round the track every day, day after day, month after month, what's going to happen? I was like, well, obviously it's going to break down. He's like, yeah, the wheels are going to fall off. The engine's going to stop working. Stuff's going to go wrong. You know, people don't treat high performing race cars like that. Now, this, that all might sound a bit silly and a bit arrogant. I'm comparing myself. It was his analogy. But I like the idea that actually this, you know, without the person at the top performing well, you know, you're going to impact other people in a negative way. So you have to take the responsibility seriously. And that means looking after yourself and putting yourself in the pit stop time, you know, at, you know, enough. Um, and that is still something I find hard, but well, I think, I'm I working. Think it's kind of like a, a conflict, isn't it? With the two sayings, don't worry, just work and then like get a service. <laughs> like there's like the back of the t-shirt and the front of the t-shirts. Like I did, I didn't claim to have the answer, Simon. I'm no, still working no, I, on I, myself. I, I think, I think that's why I do this podcast show. Cause I think it's interesting to have the debate and discuss it. Cause mm. I think for a lot of people, a lot of my listeners out there, for example, thinking of starting a business, they hear these sound bites, you know, yeah. like, work hard and you'll get luckier in life. Or, you know, they hear these basics, yeah. you know, basic uh, elements and and the nuance of it is actually what is, is important to talk about and it's important yeah, to understand definitely. that's why i love to talk to people like you that are honest and open and share because i think people need to know that this journey whatever journey or even working for someone else the journey will not be straightforward and, no absolutely and, and, and there is working for yourself does bring another layer it, it does because you've got other people to, to be responsible for which does bring a whole new wave of worry right you've got to pay their bills they've got their mortgages to pay you're relying they're relying on that income to feed their family right so so there's just one extra layer which i think is also what inspires you right like you're talking about there with your partner working with them for a few years you end up falling in love because you've worked together so much it can also end up literally being that way if you work together with people right and you're responsible for them so so anyway it's an interesting yin yang uh, approach i wanted to ask you um, a, a little bit about whether or not you think entrepreneurs are born or bred mm. I, I think that i think that everybody has the capacity to be an entrepreneur i think everybody has the capacity to develop the the skills to run a business um be entrepreneurial in their spirit and their approach to life so for example at our school you know we're looking to de- we, we have a, a, a continuum stream as part of our curriculum it makes up a one-fifth of our curriculum which is developing entrepreneurial skills and spirit and, and characteristics that doesn't mean to say that we're looking for every pupil to leave the school at 16 and be you know have their sights on being an entrepreneur that's not what we're saying but the skills of an entrepreneur the, the ways of looking at the world the the lens in which you see life and opportunities around you allows you to be more resourceful, more resilient, more flexible of thinking, more creative. And those are the things that create opportunities, bring joy uh, and allow you to make great choices in life. So it's, it's about developing the thinking habits that are synonymous with being an entrepreneur rather than saying everyone should be an entrepreneur. Because actually, you know, it wouldn't work if everyone was an entrepreneur for a start. And secondly, not everybody is up for the pressure that we're talking about. Yes, some people thrive on it and it has an impact, but not everybody, that doesn't suit everyone. But it doesn't mean to say that you can't develop those key skills, that actually those are the things that help you to navigate not just business life, but marriages, friendships, managing relationships with your parents, with your children. You know, it's that reflective nature 
um, you know, that those kind of components of self-regulation and, uh, you know, growth mindset and all those things that we kind of, you know, think of when we think of good progressive entrepreneurship, I think. Actually, those things are the things that get you through life and get you through relationships, not just about business and making money. I could not agree more. And I absolutely cannot think of anyone better than you to start a school like this. It's absolutely, I mean, I, I know you because I read about the school. I was looking for schools for my own son, just for the audience to know. And I've literally scoured the whole country looking for people who are running schools with this philosophy. And it's it's rare. And actually, I think what you're partly also teaching is empathy. You're ta- teaching, yeah. it's, it's got nothing to do with like entrepreneurship as such. Like you no. say, when I, I left school at 15 and started the company. I certainly don't advocate that everyone, advocate that everyone should do that. So I, I no. agree with your point. It's not a, That's not the point. I think the skills are very useful in whatever you decide to do in your life, right? And that open thinking, that collaborative mindset, you know, where I often feel like when I hire people that I'm working for them. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and a lot of people don't perceive it that way. They perceive, oh, you're, an empl- uh, you're employing people, so you're the boss, right? But that's, that's a construct that's only really within the corporate world. In the real world, like I'm permanently trying to convince people to stay in my company, right? And that's a skill. Yes, that's a skill that's absolutely. very transferable into all parts of life, right? So, yeah, so. absolutely. It's all those. And I think that, you know, if, if we're to sort of really sum that up, because, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm conscious not to give the impression that Tele21 is about creating these, you know, future business leaders or future entrepreneurs, because actually isn't. You know, entrepreneurship is just one element of what we're looking to do. Um, but kind of key skills and habits of mind, learning powers and things like that, you know, absolutely is. Alongside academic mastery, you know, outdoor learning, etc. Um, but I think really the re- the real kind of core reason behind wanting to set up the school is that life is so uncertain. This is the thing is that we've, we've kind of given young people and children this message all through life that there's a set pathway. And it was the pathway that we were told, you know, it, it, it's not it's not told you directly, but the messages are go to school, get good grades you know, go to university, get a great job, life is sorted. And by the way, you'll meet a fab person to marry along the way, have 2.4 children and a, and a house and, you know, and some great holidays. But of course, that's just not how it works at all. And actually, what might have been a fairly certain path a long time ago, probably 40, 50 years ago, is definitely not a certain path now. And more, more to the point, it doesn't, it's a good thing it's not a certain path because there are loads of other opportunities. There are so many other ways to work out how do I want to spend my time and how much money do I actually need and want to create that thriving life. And so our school is about showing young people through, you know, many different means and, and, and a construct of a curriculum that is very dynamic and also largely resting on independent and self-directed learning, that life is uncertain and that you need to get comfortable on the wobbly stool. That is my kind of analogy is that, you know, life is about sitting on a stool where it never quite sits straight on the floor. You've got one leg always shorter than, than the other, and it will naturally always move around a little bit as you sit on it. Well, get comfortable because that's life. And if you can get comfortable on the wobbly stool, you're going to be fine because you'll always work out what to do when you don't know what to do. You'll, you'll find a way to, to scan the situation and create the next step for yourself. And, and that's actually, you know, what I want to reform. I, I want my school to be a beacon of reformed education 
that allow young people to thrive and compete in a in the certain thing we can be certain of is that it's an uncertain 21st century and we don't know what's around the corner and now couldn't be even more of a demonstration than that than any other time with you know coronavirus covid that's just hit us so uh so yeah i i um i wish your school was around when i was young i hated school mm-hmm. And then listening to your vision, I, I literally want to go back in time and go to your school. So the oh, only, the only nice. way I can do that is send my own son there. So we'll be <laughs> talking about that later. But I, I, okay. I, I, I just wondered, out of interest, are your parents entrepreneurs? Uh, one is. So my dad uh, worked for himself, you know, and has done a lot of different things. Um, he's been everything from, you know, a salesman. He's run his own company to spent a long time being a professional gambler, actually, uh, and very successful at it. Uh, and so um, he so I've had a lot of influences for that kind of like making your own way. My mum, although she wasn't an entrepreneur, she did a lot of different things. She went from being in computers in the 80s to then retraining as a dairy farmer in the 90s uh, to then going and training, retraining as a teacher age 50 um, and now, you know, has worked as a teacher and is now currently uh, working in the NHS, actually. So this the, and the idea, there's always been a strong message that if you want to do it, just go and do it. You know, you don't need to worry about whether you can or can't. Just jump in, find a way, you work it out along the way. So that, I think, has been a huge, definitely a big influence on me. I always feel like um, when I look at schooling, there's always a disconnect between the parents' responsibility and the school's responsibility. Some, You know, like, I, I see a thread there that's sometimes missing. Like, my parents used to send me to schools if it was a school's responsibility to turn me into a successful business person, for example. Right. I mean, yeah. but but most of your influence is still going to come from your home environment. Isn't it? Do, do you find that? Is that is that a true statement? Is there a disconnect or am, am I? Yeah, I mean, a huge disconnect. You know, you only have to look at children who are living in disadvantage to see that, you know, they go to school with, with these people that are, you know, desperate to try and improve their life chances and, um, you know, to improve the future that they might have. Um, and then they're handed back, you know, sometimes into a situation where, that's the you know the opposite of, of what they're trying to achieve is, is actually happening around them so those influences are always going to be so much stronger and so one of the tricks that I think gets missed is that and it's not you know it's not each individual school's fault it's it's the system's fault is that there's just not enough emphasis in education on relationships and if there was more emphasis on relationships because actually relationships is everything in life it's, it's everything you could imagine so if there was more emphasis on relationships and not just in a kind of tokenistic teaching PHSE type thing then you know like a, a really organic you know weaved into the fabric of the culture of the school life focus on relationships then we would find more ways to bridge parents um and their involvement in school and it's through it's through bringing parents in that you will you will make a difference to how they then parent and educate and influence outside of school so we have a you know in our school there will be a lot of inf- a lot of emphasis on bringing the parents in so that you're not just getting the the pupils buy in 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 the way we think what you know the skills we want to develop the way that we the conduct that we're looking for etc but actually you know you're getting that buy in from the parents because otherwise we will face a situation where that social conditioned idea of what school is despite the fact that they've chosen our school for all the merits that we're you know saying it's going to have and it's progressive and, you know, it's dynamic and it's it's not the chalk and talk and there's no lines of desks and all the rest of it, project-based learning, outdoor learning. 
actually, you know, those socially conditioned ideas of what is learning, they sit in the back of all of us and they nag away um, and they doubt, they make us doubt, you know, what we're doing. And so as if we don't bring the parents on our journey to keep exploring what we're doing, innovative ways of, of teaching, of learning, you know, what how self-directing learning, pupils directing their own learning is, is so generative uh, for, for different sorts of skills. What will happen is those nagging social conditioned ideas of you, when are they going to sit down and do some learning or, you know, how do you know they're making progress or, you know, where's where's the, ta- the test or whatever, they will start coming up as challenges. And so, yeah, bring, you know, having parents right close to you along the journey is, is, is really important, I think, particularly if you're doing something different, which we are. Mm. How hard has it been to start a school in this ilk? It, feel, it feels like without getting into trouble and, and having a go at the uh, system that's in place, but it feels like there's a lot of resistance to an evolution like this. Is, is, that's my perception. What, what, what's the reality? Um, I don't think... I mean, absolutely. I, I am very square and centre about having a go at the system that's there, not in an aggressive way, but, you know, there's absolutely, hundred. I 100% believe that the system is broken and desperately needs reforming. You know, when you unpack actually some of the cultural norms in schools, you know, it's, it's insane. Some of the things are completely insane. You know, we go about life calling each other Simon and Haley all day long, despite the fact that we've never met. You know, if you're introduced to a CEO these days, most of the time they'd say, hi, my name's Dave. They wouldn't say, you know, I'm Mr. So that, that stuff's gone out. Yet we expect children from four to 16 to call the, the, the educators, these really important people that they're supposed to be modeling life you know, from and, and, and taking all this inference from, sir, you know, and, and miss. I mean, how dark ages is that? You know, we strap them up in little um, jackets and, you know, make them look like they work in Canary Wharf. Why? Why are we doing that? We're doing it because we've always done it and we've never questioned it. You know, there's just, there's so many things. There's so many social uh, kind of cultural things about school that, that I think are a real problem. But the most thing, the, the biggest thing that's such a problem is the huge disconnect from what happens when you teach children individual subjects in silos, you know, by having English lesson, geography lesson, maths lesson, science lesson, and they're all independent from each other. And there's no there's no understanding of how that's brought together and is connected to to not only to each other, the subject matter to each other, but also how children connect that to the real world. And that's why I'm such a fan of project-based learning because children buy in and they, they understand why they're learning something. Whereas if you just go, you know, six different subjects a day, it becomes very hard to stay motivated about why you're learning this stuff because nobody ever tells you why. Mm. I don't think I've, 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 all the, on all the people I've spoken to within the education ecosystem that are aware um, say the same as you it's broken it needs fixing but why you know I, I'm not I'm not just saying this because I've got you I've got you here I honestly I can only see a, I would say a handful of people doing what you're doing in the in the whole of the UK I mean even globally I think I can I can name a handful again like the Bali school uh, the green school in Bali for example would be one of those schools for me you know like I, I see that they're trying to do something different and and sure. but but it feels like there's a huge amount of resistance why yeah, I mean, firstly, just let me say that there actually are, uh, you know, there is a really keen contingent of people that are that are doing really progressive things in the UK. 
there just aren't so many of them that you may have heard about them. But um, and that's why you referred to sort of you know handful. But actually, there are a lot of people that you know are doing things. But they 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 come in all different shapes and sizes. So um, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of early years uh, owners who are, are doing you know really kind of taking from progressive approaches. There's a lot of Scandinavian influences with that forest school. There are loads of fantastic homeschool education groups propping, uh, you know, cropping up all over the place, uh, you know, and some progressive schools. So um, it's definitely going to change. I really feel that in the next 10 years or so, well, maybe a little longer than that, but it'll start to become a case of the choices are state school, private school, progressive school. Whereas at the moment, the choices are state school, private school. And by the way, there's a few people on the fringe who occasionally start these crazy little schools. They're a bit hippie-ish, you know, and they're alternatives. And they're the ones that have, you know, a bit of resistance to, I think, from the average Joe because they don't understand. They don't understand what they're doing. And people don't know what they don't know. That's the thing. Um, so you have to show them what they don't know. You have to break it down. You have to make it really, really clear. You have to say... You've always accepted this. And yes, of course, your little Charlie, you know, will be fine at a regular school. Nobody's saying they won't. Um, however, let's look at how it looks over here. Because actually, imagine all these types of skills and values and, you know, cultural influences that Charlie will pick up along the way. And he'll still get a rocking set of GCSEs, you know. But the problem is, is that we, it's that social conditioning. Parents are too concerned about, will my child go on, you know, and, 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 and oh my God, please just promise me they're going to get a job and be okay. Because that, that's the deep-seated fear, really. And so they all want them to be happy. Whenever I ask parents, what do you really want, you know, out of education? They always say, I just want them to be happy. But obviously, I, you know, I want them to be able to, you know, compete in, in, in life. And so the, the you know, what we need to keep showing what we need to keep showing parents is that actually we can we can help children grow their own intelligence and by growing their own intelligence they will be able to deal with any situation they will be able to find the pathway and the opportunity in any situation in any direction that they want to go so rather than sort of thinking, oh, my God, please just give them these tools, make sure they get this GCSE, make sure they get into a university because, you know, life will be fine after that. Well, of course, it, that's absolutely no guarantee that it'll be fine at all. What you want is for them to have a toolbox of, of you know, habits of mind, of ability to be flexible, to understand the situation, to scan it, to make the best of it, to be resourceful, to be able to collaborate, to be able to network, find the right people that are going to help you at the right time. Those tools are so much more generative and valuable and long-lasting than just a set of GCSEs. GCSEs is the thing we need to do, absolutely. But it shouldn't be what the whole of a child's school experience is, is ultimately leading to. It shouldn't be all about that. And at the moment in the mainstream sector, I feel it is. You start with SATs at year two, you know, they're, they're taught to the test for that. Then you've got SATs at year six, they're taught to the test for that. You know, and that that becomes the marker for their flight path of success right into GCSEs. You know, it just shouldn't be like that. Their their education is a huge part of their childhood, and it should be respected as so. It's fascinating, and it's very sensitive for me because I, I see for my own child. You know, I also have I want him to be happy. Then you also don't want them left behind. So somehow there's an image of things like homeschool, for example, where somehow they're going to yeah. miss out on something. You know, or you know, you don't want to hurt them. 
Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because I honestly believe that homeschool, a really, really good homeschool experience is one of the best educations you could possibly have. And, you know, what our school is taking, I think, what we're trying to do is take, you know, if you had the absolute best school homeschool mum and dad who created this really rich environment for learning and they were questioning and they were challenging and they made learning experiential and they contextualized learning made it meaningful by real world experiences and and project-based take that idea and then make a school into it well that's the telly 21 that's what we're trying to achieve um, but I completely agree with you that, that the homeschool um, concept is so misunderstood because we all have been trained to believe that there's a monopoly on knowledge We've been trained to believe that there's a set of knowledges, that there's a set of things that need to be known in life. And of course, that's nonsense. You could question why are we still teaching World War II when we've got 20 years of, you know, Afghan war Mm. right there that we've all lived through. Why are we still teaching that? You know, because the monopoly on knowledge says that's more important because it's just always the way it's been. And I think to add, um, I mean, we could have a whole podcast just talking about education. Maybe this is... <laughs> Let's I, I do it. <laughs> I do find it fascinating. Maybe we should have a whole separate yeah. discussion just about it. Because I, I start thinking about, like, for example, you mentioned earlier about the school uniforms. And it's yeah. interesting because I've seen lots of different schools for my son and, and different philosophies. One school is like, we don't wear school uniforms because we're all individual, you know, which is yeah. awesome. And I go to another yeah. school, we all wear school uniforms so that we don't have to compete with each other about what we're wearing every day. And, you know, so suddenly is a conflicting uh, philosophy and both of which can convince depending on what type of person you are you that that's the right strategy you know and, yeah and, I mean and I, and I think the nuance of it is missing I think that's my view it's like well you know the bullying's still happening <laughs> well actually you're actually not done there you try to solve the problem by creating a system saying wear a school uniform because as if that's going to stop bullying but actually that's not going to stop bullying that's just going to create another area of bullying <laughs> it, it, so they're not cause problems nonsense. It's a complete nonsense construct. If you actually look into the history of why children wear school uniforms, it goes right back to, you know, sort of 18th century when um, putting children in a school with a uniform was a sign of a state, you know, sign of status. So that it, 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 that's all it is. It's just gone back to this idea of status. It's nothing more than that. Um as you say, bullying bullying happens in all different forms. I mean, there's much bigger problems bullying online. It's certainly not necessarily about, you know, the the trainers that they wore to school that day. Mm. Although I'm sure that does crop up, but they're just bigger fish to fry. And uniform is another very outdated and dangerous message. This is the thing that upsets me, is that, you know, we're, we're saying we want children to be independent and free thinking and innovative and we want them to go out and do good things and change the world. But by the way, make sure you all look the same for the first 18 years. Like, you know, clothes and, and style and, and fashion, etc. It, it's a huge extension of our personality. It's, it's part of our identity. And, and, you know, children should be able to experiment with that. And as long as it doesn't affect their learning, what difference does it make? So, you know, people, lots of our uh, families are asking me at the moment, you know, what can we wear to school? And I say, I don't care if you come in a tutu and a Mohican, as long as it doesn't affect your learning and it doesn't offend anyone else. Mm. Great. Well, I think my son will probably take you up on that. I think. <laughs> but um, I, 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 uh, I, I guess I, w- I wanted to ask you um, a little bit about how you got into all of this. Have you have you worked for someone else before? What's your what's your history quickly? 
sorry, I think you just got my rumbly tummy then. Um, <laughs> my history is, is that I worked, uh, I went to university, uh, I studied film, television and theatre, and then I had a, a career sort of in television and media for a few years until I was about 28, which is when I first started my first business, which was a nursery business. Um, and so I worked as everything from a TV, you know, behind the scenes TV researcher, uh, production coordinator, worked on a few low budget films. I even did a little bit of broadcasting myself. Um, and so, yeah, I was kind of developing, but at the same time, I'd had three children between the ages of 24 and 27. So, um, you know, that was a, a huge, um, that was a challenge within my career, obviously, uh, but also a, a wonderful welcome to my life. Uh, but it did mean that, you know, things were a bit more less kind of linear in terms of a career path and then it got to the point where I decided I wanted to work in news and I thought um, you know I really love the idea of working in news doing something quite serious and so I went for a job reading the news at a local radio station and you know they kind of looked at me and said right you've got three children under five and I was like yeah and they were like, okay, so you can jump on a train and go to Scotland tomorrow then. And I was sort of like, ah, no, can't really do that. So I realized very quickly that my TV and my media career was going to be over very, very shortly uh, and thought, well, what can I do? You know, I, I need childcare. I need to earn enough money to actually, you know, go to work. I need to earn enough money for childcare. I love the idea of running my own business one day. And, you know, this big kind of passion of mine working in television and media was going to be over so starting my own nursery seemed to sort of tick all those boxes. And also by that point, having had young children and getting into a bit of journalism and things, I, I, I could feel that I was very drawn to education, parenting, child development. It was just a really interesting area for me. And so it sort of ticked all the boxes. And so then you said, right, I'm just going to start my own nursery. And you, you found a site and away you went. How did you make it happen? Um, I think for my audience well, actually... Yeah. So actually what, what happened was I started looking into places that I could open a nursery because my, where I lived at the time didn't have one, you know, right on the doorstep. And I thought, well, this is a bit crazy. People are driving to the next town to go to the nurseries. We could start one here. So I started looking into all the ways that I could do that, which was very difficult. I had no money at all. Um, you know, we, we had nothing. We just bought our first home. We had three children under five. Um, you know, my partner at the time was working very hard commuting to London 14 hours a day type thing and so uh, you know it really the lim choices were quite limited and then as I was looking into it I, I came across a nursery that was for sale um, and it was rather poorly and so as in you know it was about to close the doors basically within a matter of weeks um, and so you know it was sort of up for sale at a, a very reasonable price so I went to see it and it was in Horsham it was about half an hour drive I was living just outside of Brighton at the time and I drove through this sort of a state of large executive homes and thought, well, this is strange. This should be, you know, this should be killing it. This should be thriving. Uh, and went to see this little nursery in a, a community barn, but there was a big garden. And, and I really couldn't understand why it wasn't working until I walked in and I could, you know, there were obvious things that needed improving. And so I thought, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to, I sort of scrape the money together. I remember my, <laughs> I remember my partner at the time saying to me, I really, I'm really behind you doing this, Hayley, but I do not want to lend any money against the house. It's the only thing we have. I don't want you to borrow any money against the house. It's, okay, fine. I'll find another way. Went to see the nursery, looked into several options, came back to him and said, right, I'm going to do the nursery and I need to borrow money against the house. 
<laughs> and he just looked at me and said, you better make this work. And I said, I will, I will make it work. And I honestly, I think that's the only reason it did was because failure was not an option. I mean, failure meant losing our home to our three children. It was just, you just worked until it worked. That, that was it. There was no failing. Well, I just... so yeah. And from, so from then, so anyway, we've developed a group now. We've got three nurseries. We've got a, a, another site. We've got some plans for other sites in the future. Um, and obviously the school that opens in September. So it's been, it's been a very, it's been strong growth over the last five years, um, which has been fantastic, exhilarating and exhausting and expensive. Um, but yeah, so here we are. Is it been hard to get this school up, this new school up and running or, or you know, how would you describe it? What, starting a new school in an 18th century building in COVID? Yeah. No, Simon, it's been a breeze. Um, <laughs> Thought so. Yes. Yeah, so, Everyone mean, should do it, right? Easy. Oh, yes. It's an absolute piece of cake. No, I mean, I have done nothing else 24 hours a day than, than, than kind of focus on this school and, you know, obviously my other business as well with the nurseries. But the school has been, you know, a, a very much a focus for the whole of the last year. And there's a team of people behind that. It's not just me, um, you know, my business manager, the consultant I've been using, who's an Ofsted inspector, uh, an ex-Ofsted inspector, all of us, you know, the teachers that I've hired, we've been really working extremely hard to, to get to the place that we're at now, six weeks from opening. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously I signed the lease, a 25-year lease on this 18th century beautiful manor house building that we've got as the school um, two weeks before COVID hit, which was a really interesting. And I mean, to be honest, thank God, because actually had it all hit, I might have doubted myself and thought maybe I should be doing this you know, maybe we shouldn't be um, signing the lease, we should put it off. Um, but of course, that wasn't the case. Signed it, didn't know anything about it. Two weeks later, COVID hit and, you know, suddenly schools were closing, my nurseries were closing, you know, it was insane. Um, and, and, and of course, the challenge of just getting the builders in, the, the you know, the different contractors and trying to coordinate having staff with social distancing. And, you know, it's just, it's been, it's been a huge, huge undertaking. I think there's a couple of points I want to make sure the audience doesn't miss in all these amazing insights and points that you're making. One of the story about you're mortgaging your home and then kind of signing the lease when when other people might be listening, thinking, "Wow, you sound the lease at a bad time there." But your perception yeah. and, and, and view on it is you were lucky to sign a lease then because it's made you follow through. So it's the commitment pieces. I, I want people to pick up on this. I think commitment is such an important part of the journey. And so once you'd signed that lease, you were committed, COVID or not. Yeah, absolutely. Here you come, I mean, right? So, yeah, 100%. And I, and I think the mortgage, the same thing, you know, like once you've committed that resource, that line's been crossed, you know, you have to make it work. And and I think that's why you're successful. And I think people listen, need to listen to that point. It is commitment. It's not necessarily putting a house on mortgage. That's not the only way a commitment manifests itself. But I think that commitment piece, the lease element you explained, for example, is 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 very important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Well, I, you know, that, that's, I just, it's like I said, you know, once you've, I, I tend to, I, I tend to, once I've decided I'm doing something, we're, we're doing it. You know, it's a case of how long will it take to make it work? It's not a case of, will we be backing out and, you know, and chucking the towel in? It's just, you know, you have your projection of how long you think it's going to take to get it, you know, to get it to a successful uh, point where it's stable. And it's just a case of how long will that take and what do we need to get there? It's not It's not a case of will we be, you know, backing out of it. I guess it's also uh, that charge to get to the point where you can get joy from the business, 
Right. Yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, I'm already getting tons of joy from the school. I have to say that, you know, this is already a very, very fun experience because I love putting things together. So, you know, having a, a, a lovely big 18th century manor house to decorate and make beautiful has been, you know, a huge amount of fun anyway. Um, but also meeting the families, meeting the, you know, the children that are going to come to our school. They're just so much fun and they energize you. You know, you, you to be working with children and teaching, you really have to love children. And I know that sounds a bit obvious, but sometimes I worry that not everybody in, in teaching and education actually does love children. Um, but for me, I just find them enormous fun. I find them very energizing and very motivating to be around. Um, so yeah, it's already been a lot of fun. Um, if anything, I feel like, you know, it, it's more a case of getting ready for what might be what might be coming, which is going to be more challenging actually doing it rather than talking about it and planning it. You make me think a little bit about the homeschooling point. You, uh, and I love the fact you say it's worth thinking about because I, so many people that own schools, you, you never, you're always pretending you're about how the school system is better. And I love the idea of, you know, you kind of endorsing homeschooling. And I also like the fact that you've kind of reverse engineered your own school in this vein, you know, that you're mm. trying to think things differently. I think that's really, really cool. But you said something there that kind of made me think as well about how I think a lot of parents actually don't like educating their children. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, I absolutely. I mean, the easiest thing for me to do, wouldn't it? Because I couldn't find a progressive school that I wanted my children to go to would just be to have homeschooled, you know, and and I was at a point in the business where I could have, you know, got fantastic group operations manager who's amazing. And, you know, I I was at the point where I could have done that. I could have just stepped back and said, you know, Charlotte, you you, you know, reigns over to you. I'm actually going to homeschool my kids. So I'm going to be, you know, less involved. Uh, And so that would have been much cheaper for a start uh, and a lot less stress. But it just wasn't I'm I'm, that's not who I am. I don't I don't want that. I don't want that environment for my children. I want them to be in a school, but I want them to be in the right school. I want them to be with the right influences. Um, And also, I don't want to homeschool That, that, you know, I don't it's not that I don't love my children. Of course I do. I just I love to work. I love to build things. I love to create things. And if I can do that alongside my children in my own school, well, that's a huge bonus. I mean, I'm actually going to be working in the class that my twin daughters will be in in September. So I'll be a teaching partner as well as the head of school, uh, certainly for the next year to, you know, to really do it because I have to be doing it with the other staff. Otherwise, you know, how am I going to reflect on what's working? Uh, and so my own twin daughters will be in the class with me. And then my youngest daughter will be in the class with my wife, who's also going to be a teacher. So, you know, that's a really privileged thing as well. It's that that you are personifying what I call work-life balance right there. You know, I think you people, so many people separate their life from, from, from their work and the joy can come from yeah. combining the two, finding a, you know, like you say, it's still a, you know, comfortable on a wobbly stool kind of concept but the, the, it is, the, yeah. the, the idea of actually I, I, I'm working from, my podcast is also from home we look very professional with our background here and I've got Connor takes care of all the editing we do a good job of making it look very professional but actually I'm at home and I love yeah. that because my son sometimes runs in and joins in the podcast he said to me this morning daddy you want my help with the podcast you know and, yeah. I, and I love uh, that inclusion piece absolutely um, which you yeah. literally built a school to create that inclusion piece which um is incredibly um well I, I, it's just amazing to me and uh, i have a lot of respect for you and as i say i think i could actually talk to you all day long i think probably now um, <laughs> we, we we've kept, we've kept you uh, an hour when you're 
busy trying to get a new school ready so I want to uh, say thank you for, for joining I want to say I've got a million other questions for you so maybe we can have you back on maybe we can come and do the podcast not in my front living room but at your school when you're up and running yeah. and, and interview you again and hear more of your insights and maybe even talk to some of your students I think that could be really cute and cool uh, that would be so, very so, cool so let, let's do that but but I want to thank you for your time um, I want to, to sum up a few things that I've taken from you um, which I've mentioned a few times but I want the audience to grasp it I love this concept of um, getting joy from the business I think a lot of people think about business as a concept of bringing in money but I like the idea of it bringing in joy I think that's really really interesting um, I think anyone who wants to talk about mental health um, on welcome to approach me this platform I think it's important to talk about it everyone goes through pain uh, when building a business or in any part of life for that matter and having someone to talk about can be a problem shared problem halved I think um, I, I do want to make quite a few t-shirts up uh, f- from Haley, which is <laughs> don't, don't, don't worry just work I think on the back of you know get a service from time to time um, yeah. I, I do think I do think we're fueled by self-doubt that's a really interesting area which I'd like to go into a little bit more um, with you another time but there's something really interesting in that statement I think it can, I love it when people tell me my podcast isn't going to work uh, it, it pushes me to make sure that it does absolutely uh, and, and so there's something really interesting in, in that ecosystem of, of doubt um, I think more emphasis on relationships in life I think that's really I think that's one of the things again that's going to set you apart in a school because I think if you can create a relationship with the children of course but then build the relationship with the parents and within the parents themselves the thing I loved about the way you've written up everything you're doing one of the definitely things I loved was this community piece which I think again is sometimes said but not done you know, actually mm. connecting everyone having a common goal and sharing knowledge and that community that relationship piece like you said quite rightly people and relationships are key to your whole life's journey being fulfilling and and having those relationships uh, are so important so having that within a school system but i think basically making sure people emphasize relationships in life because i think they can get overlooked building a business you can sometimes neglect your relationship right and i think you know getting those people on the same page as you working in your business with you um and can combining work life balance that's a really interesting piece that you've uh, you've unpacked a bit um and i like the point you also mentioned about alternative um becoming uh, more like progressive you know so the private school or public school and a progressive school as opposed to alternative as if as if it's some weird strange abstract third option and i love the idea that it's not alternative it's progressive so that that's i think that's another t-shirt um certainly a slogan um i think, I think <laughs> you're progressive i don't i don't think you're alternative um although of course it's an option so you could you could categorize it that way but it's but a progressive school i really like and and so uh, mortgage your house commit to it um so if it goes horribly wrong i'll put Haley's contact details down Thanks. the bottom um if you mortgage your house and the business doesn't work then ping her yeah and take more holidays than i did yeah take lots of holidays and yeah. uh, you know mortgage your home just enjoy life a little bit. somehow it will all work out if it'll you, just be fine if, it'll you get, be fine. if you get joy from the business the journey itself is enough but um yeah but thank you for your time Haley. i love talking to you look forward to uh coming to visit your school and and hearing um how it all plays out for you but i'm excited for you i'm excited for the kids that are going to go there and the parents that are going to be involved and uh and i look forward to uh, having you back on the show so thank you so much thank you it's been a huge pleasure i've enjoyed it very much thank, thank you, you. Thank you for listening to the Good Luck Club podcast. 
We know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to and you've chosen us. We, of course, feel lucky. If you want to hear more, please go to thegoodluckpod.com or go to any of our social media pages and share with us your views, your insights and any way that we can improve what we're doing to make it a better experience for you. We wish you the best of luck.